Starting, so scaling, and exiting a business is hard. So why do some companies achieve seven, eight, and nine-figure exits? While others struggle to reach six-figure revenue. To answer these questions, we sit down with top entrepreneurs who have exited for more than ten million dollars, or currently run ten million dollar-plus businesses, and grill them until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Welcome to Beyond Eight Figures. Find folks from all sorts of different industries who have either exited their business for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually and get to the bottom of the shortcuts and strategies and resources and everything that they've done uh, to get to, to where they got or where they are in their business. And this, and I'll say we've had some great folks on the show and thank you guys for your support. The, uh, the show uh, seems to be hitting a chord with folks and, um, 132-odd reviews later uh, seems to seems to be hitting the right chord. So thank you for your support around that. And if you haven't had a chance yet to rate and review and subscribe to the show, please do so because we would love to hear from you. And if we deserve five stars, cool. If we don't, uh, that's cool too. Just let us know. But uh, we've had some really interesting folks join us uh, on the show, billionaires, newly minted millionaires. I mean, you, you name it. I think we've kind of covered the gamut so far, and we'll continue to do that and scour the planet to bring you some of the the world's most interesting and successful entrepreneurs. Um, and this gentleman uh, absolutely checks <laughs> I mean, all of the boxes. And I'm just, and what I love, and we'll bring Marks on. As a matter of fact, wait, let's just, uh, let's just bring Marks on right now. Marks, are, are you there with us, my man? Hey guys, how are you? Hey, how you doing, brother? Good to have you here. So Marks Acosta Rubio, correct? Yes, sir. All righty. And where, where are you joining us in from today? I am in my home in South Lake, Texas. In South Lake, Texas. Awesome. Well, glad you are here. Uh, have you had a chance to listen to the show? You, you, you kind of know what you're in for? <laughs> yeah, you guys are awesome, man. What a great show. I mean, the depth and the variety of guests is unbelievable. Yeah, sweet brother. So you know right out of the gate what we like to do is we just want to clear the air around what qualifies you to be on the show because we do – you know, we, we do our best to make sure that those uh, who join us are qualified either as someone who has exited for more than $10 million or currently ro- or runs a business that grosses more than $10 million annually. So let's just get that out of the way right out of the gate. How do you meet the criteria for Beyond 8? Both of them. So I, I sold my original first company for more than $10 million. Won't disclose how much, but it's more than 10 Okay. And uh, we rebuilt it, and now we have a company that does more than three times uh, the original company. So hold on, I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. So you you sold the business. Are you saying then you bought it back? Yeah, it's it's a long story, but the answer is yes. So we 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 built it, we sold it, and actually I, I sold it after it had crashed and burned. So I rebuilt it, sold it, then bought it back. Interesting. Which is not uncommon, by the way. Yeah, no, not not uncommon at all. And and you're at three x what you were doing on the original. Revenue number. So when you when you exited, did, did all of those payments clear? Did you get paid? Were you squared on 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 whatever those terms were? So part of it was yes, but there was a small amount left over for a second bite of the apple, which did not come true. Gotcha. And so, give us an understanding then of what that business uh, was the first go around, and is it identical to what it is the second go around, or have you tweaked it? So it's funny you say that because the answer is yes and no. So the first time it was simply selling ink and toner business to business via the phone. Oh, Jesus. I mean, so the sexiest, the sexiest business on earth. Right. So, selling, <laughs> right. so selling ink and toner by phone. 
Yeah, you cannot get more mundane than that. And the funny thing is, is that people thought it was a commodity, but it really is not a commodity. It's actually a service. Anyway, we competed against Staples and Depot. And there's a couple of companies out there who also did do a good job, but the rest did a terrible job. So we, we went out and got to about $24 million in revenue, sold it. Actually, um, sold it a little bit under 25. Can you let's, let's, then, let's stop right there if you don't mind. We'll get back to the, to the current course. iteration, but let's just stop right there. How, how did you value, like what was the valuation at that point? I'm just trying to understand how does an ink and toner business get value? Was it based on EBITDA? Was it based on a multiple of gross revenue? What, what was no, it's the valuation? EBITDA. It's EBITDA. It's even rarely, as you know, do businesses actually sell for multiple of revenue, right? It's usually EBITDA. So it was EBITDA and it was about six times multiple, which was, which was for us at standard, at, our industry was between three to six times multiple. Ours ended up hitting six for a variety of reasons. Um, the challenge with these kind of businesses is that there are really no contracts by which you can have customers on life, right? So it is a churn as you go, which was hard, right? Mm-hmm. And then... So it was interesting that we, we pulled it off. And then, of course, they crashed and burned because the new owners um, did a terrible job. And by the way, it's not uncommon in this kind of industry for someone to buy it strategically and then screw it up. In fact, I, I haven't seen anybody who's – well, there's one company that buys these businesses and does a great job with them. Everybody else screws them up. Mm-hmm. So we bought the assets back, and there was nothing left, guys, nothing. Mm. No employees, nothing, um, just a name. And then we rebuilt it, but we did it in, in such a different way that it was very, um, I wouldn't say, it's definitely counterintuitive, but different than the first model. I didn't want the same problems and headaches and issues we had with the first model. And because I, before I sold it, the thing had crashed and burned, and that was ugly. I mean, ugly, painful beyond all imagination. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to build it with the same problems. Mm-hmm. So if you sold the business, they crashed and burned it. There was nothing left. Why sure. buy it back and rebuild it? Why not just start another business? Because you're going to have a negative tone to that name now. And so you got a, something else to overcome. Yeah, the Goodwill's all been crushed. Well, the, luckily for us, the Goodwill wasn't crushed. But it's a great question. And I'd say probably if I had to do it over again, I might have not done it. Um, I'm glad I did. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm glad I did. I might have not done it. And the reason is because it was like a child, right? It, it was an emotional decision more than a logical one. It was like, mm-hmm. gee, you know, we built this great organization, and now it's, you know, in tethers, if you would. Mm-hmm. And so we, we built it, brought it back. Go ahead. And, and did you have, just out of curiosity, was there any sort of earnout, or did you did you stay on for any period of time after the uh, this this first exit? Yeah. So it was supposed to be a two year contract to stay on it and during those two years they made decisions while i was running it that ended up really hurting the organization and then when my two years were up they still owed me an earnout. i'm sorry they owed me a piece of the note because it's cash and a little note and then they obviously they couldn't fulfill the note so i just used that as uh you know collateral to buy the business mm-hmm. so to get the business back you didn't actually have to come out of pocket you just basically called the note and said hey you know you're not fulfilling these terms so it comes back yep it's exactly right mm-hmm and at that point, there must have been a database. I mean, there must have been some assets that were worth recovering and, and worth taking over, yeah? A, a couple of key amazing employees that are still with us and a database. And the database, for the most part, was, I wouldn't say useless, but, you know, employees left and they stole accounts and, you know, these unethical, horrible things. But what was interesting was, you know, our first model was 
just sell telephone sales, zero internet presence, uh, zero outside sales, literally just phone sales. Can, can we and put we a little, were, I just want to make sure people are clear on the year. So what, what time frame are we talking about? Like what years are these? When did you start it? When did you exit it? When did you buy it back? 1998 to 2008. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. So and you're and I'm assuming that this is big businesses you're selling to too, right? This isn't like. Like mom and pop mom buying one-off toners. You're going into like big companies and, and selling box loads of, of, of ink and toners. No, it's actually, you know, the, the answer is we had clients all over the place, but LA County was one of our clients as an example. Mm. But then we have clients that buy one cartridge every two or three months. Oh, wow. So we, you know, our niche was interesting, right? Our niche was more psychographic than geographic or, or business graphic, right? It was the individual who understood that our product wasn't a commodity, but rather a service. Because really, you buy a toner cartridge, you think it's a toner cartridge, but it really isn't. There's a lot of stuff that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. So if they're interested in price they, they only and not, not service or quality, not our client. Mm. If they wanted cost per copy or without getting in the weeds, we knew who our client was. So we'd make a lot of phone calls throughout the day, find out the decision maker. I mean, I developed a system that was we outsold our competition five to one. That means that somebody in my industry had to have five salespeople do what one of my salesperson could do. The average um, commission per year of my sales guys was $300,000 a year in income mm. with uh, one guy retiring as a millionaire and then the lowest uh, rung being about 150000 which you insane. think there's – right? You can never make that money selling toner. Our volume was incredible. Uh, we sold compatibles versus the OEM, so you have higher margins. The client saves money and the rep gets a higher margin. There's a commission percentage of the gross profit that the rep gets. We had an incredible – a commission structure that was upward, opposite of taxes. The more you make, the high percentage you get. I mean, you know, if if you guys ever looked into the hood, which the guys that bought us did, you'd see the incredible, sophisticated, amazing stuff that goes on behind the scenes. But on the front end, the client gets their stuff the next day. They mm-hmm. get a big four-pound bag of M&Ms with the order. The product works great. Mm-hmm. There's relationship build. You know, it's like you ever been to a fancy restaurant and. And it's like the best absolute service and the best meal you've ever had. But if you peek behind the kitchen door, there's mayhem going on and everything's like just going nuts. Yeah. That's what our company was like. So I was going to ask, since you was heavy on service and you were doing this via phone call pre-internet, yeah. did you had to have some secret sauce to qualify them quick. What, what, what was the secret to, to know whether they cared about price? Was there some sort of question you asked really quick? Yes. So, so the answer to that is there is a secret sauce. We still use it to this day to a certain extent because the business continued after the fact. You know, what's interesting from our – now, mind you, look, you know, I'm, I'm Hispanic, right? English is my second language. You know, I'm, I'm dyslexic, right? I was voted least likely to succeed in my high school, like mm-hmm. no joke, right? So and, – and I'm really good with numbers now, particularly if you put dollar signs in front of them. <laughs> but, you know, but, but I wasn't like this, you know, internet genius. And I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. Give me a book and sit me in a corner and I'm happy. You know, I'm shy in, 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 in person and doing groups, but I overcame that, right, by working on myself. The thing that I figured out early was that I was doing something. First of all, I almost got fired three times when I, when I started in the industry. And then I did get fired. And then I fired and then started my own company. And I realized that I was doing something differently than somebody else was doing. Most of the guys in the industry were making about 4000 a month if that was the best. I got to make 10000 when I was in my, my mid-20s, right? I'm 48 now, so you're talking 20-plus years ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what am I doing that's different? 
So I read every book, listened to every tape, all kinds of fun stuff. And I began to reverse engineer what I was doing, right? I'd look at, is there a sequence? Is there a syntax? You know, what do I say? How do I say it? Do I pause? You know, do I use words? Am I using hypnotic language, embedded commands, phonetic ambiguities, all of this stuff, right? And I realized that I was, I was utilizing things that others weren't doing. And then when I systematized that and taught it to others, that's when the secret sauce came to play. And to answer your question about what question we ask, we ask him the most important question, which is, hey, guys, or hey, John, or hey, Chris, or whomever, I assume that you do have the ability to pick and choose your vendors. Isn't that right? Now, that does, it sounds simple, but it does two things. A, it appeals to the ego. Yes, that's right. I am the man if I, or woman. Mm-hmm. So when they do that, now you have engaged in negotiations, which is what you want to be, not selling, but negotiating. And you say, I assume. So if they're not, they go, no, no, I'm not the one Johnny is. Mm. So that little question gave us a decision maker. Now, a lot of times it, it wasn't the decision maker. We had to find out who it was and still do. But the real, real, real trick is getting the receptionist to love you. And the real, 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 real trick before that is to work in, work on your state. You know, we now know there, there's something called mirror neurons, right? As you know, like, you know, if you feel something, my mirror neurons inside my brain may feel the same way. So when we pick up the phone and we're calling somebody, if we assume the sale, we're authoritative and enthusiastic, then the other person on the other side, even if they respond differently than we respond, are still going to get that, that sort of ether connection. And then we define, we, I'm, I'm sorry to be rambling, but we redefine rapport. People define, you know, Tony, my good friend Tony Robbins defines rapport as getting someone to like you. That's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. That is not what real life rapport is. We have the only way to determine whether you have real rapport is to ask the other person to do something for you. If they do something for you, even if they don't like you, you now have real rapport. Mm-hmm. So we brought that into the presentation. Anyway, not to uh, get stuck in the weeds, but then yeah. we, we did have, okay, we have some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So let, let me just make sure I'm clear on this. So in terms of your, your margins, and, and I, I guess the question becomes, were you manufacturing these? Were you private, like white labeling? Like how, how were you able to get to the margins that were so far superior to what others in the industry were able to get to. I, I, did, did you end up having – is that part of the tweaking here in the second iteration? So the second iteration, we actually went to Amazon, and then we, we got a little more um, specific in who our clientele is, and we decided to do it with less over less people, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because less equals more, as my good friend Richard Koch would tell you in the 80-20. The, 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 so the beginning answer is I, we did not have the highest margins. There were guys out there doing it shadily and scummily, that had higher margins, you know, bought cheap product, bought from China, whatever. Well, what we really focused on was looking for the individual who bought OEM. You know, the OEM, original equipment manufacturer product, has really low margins, right? Usually single digits. Now, you and I both know, or we, I believe to be true still, that the average company's EBITDA is about 7%, mm. right? And that's just standard, you know, Wall Street, public companies that, you know, some mid to small businesses, maybe a little more, sometimes a little less. We were a little bit higher than that. So what we did is we took, we said, look, how do we get a product that the end user cares about that they can justify saving money but paying more than the other compatible or remanufactured product? Because we're cheaper than the OEM but more expensive than the other remakes. And the answer was simple. Create a private label box and then find a manufacturer with a defect rate less than half a percent. So we did. And we actually used different manufacturers along the way depending on you know who gave us a better product or a better price. But the real real key to the product for us was the absence of problems, not the addition of benefits. Does that make sense? 
Back yeah. to when you said it's more service based than yeah. a commodity. Yeah, it's it's all when it comes to toner cartridges, all they care about is don't blow up on my printer. Mm-hmm. As long as it prints, I don't care. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the honest to goodness bottom line. Now, of course, they've had terrible experiences with other products, so they go to the higher HP, which we thought stands for a high, you know, higher prices. But that's all they cared about. The added value was the relationship. The added value was the service. The added value was we had to make them look like superheroes in their organization. Because usually the person who buys toner cartridges for any business is not seen as the CEO or the president, right? They're like, unfortunately, hey, Susie, it's your turn. You buy this crappy product. Like, it's like you have to deal with this now. It's not a coveted position. So they feel like, oh, man, I've got this extra added value because when something goes wrong, they go yell at the individual. They don't yell at us. The end user who's using the product yells at the person who bought it. So we had to think about, look, strategy is really easy, right? It's who's the enemy, what's the terrain, and how do you win? That's the bottom line. So we know who the enemy was, and the terrain happened to be on the desk of our end users, of our consumers, of our clients, right, the desk. So we added a four-pound bag of M&Ms every time they ordered. What does that do? So they get a they get a box of toner cartridges, whatever they order. Here's a bag of M&Ms. We send them a nice jar, and you're click 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 as they pour the M&Ms into their jar. It's a Pavlovian response. Everybody comes running to them. Mm-hmm. They get the little cup. They get their M&Ms. It's conditioned response. Bam, you're the hero, right? When there's an issue with a printer and they come scream at Susie, we send out a free service technician to go out there, and next day or same day in some cases to fix it. No cost. Boom, they're the hero, right? We always make sure they have the right amount of product. Because they run out all the time. So we, we would sell them continuously. Hey, make sure you have this. Never out of inventory. Boom, you're the hero. Yeah. So, you know, we do pizza parties. And without giving you all the tactics, yeah. we realized it wasn't about the cartridge. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Let, let's go back to some of the embryonic sta- just stages here of of this second iteration when you started to tweak it. And, and you know, I mean, you if we have time, we can get into some of the background stuff. I mean, you've got an incredible background just in terms of what, You've been able to accomplish uh, the amount of money that you've lost, the amount of money you gained. Yep. I mean, I mean, you've just got an incredible story there, and we'll see if we can get to to some of that, depending on the amount of time we've got uh, here on on today's episode. But what I what I want to get to is, I believe that there is, let's just call it a uh, a leap, right? There is a leap that is made at some point that takes you out of this whole sort of playing field of being a, a five or six figure business that gets you into eight figures and, and beyond. And so what, what I'm, what I'd love to dig into here is what in your mind, was it, was it a, was it a key hire? Was it a, a particular strategy? <laughs> like I'm trying to figure out like why you and why sure. your company, like, why, why were you able to blow through six figures and seven figures and mid seven figures and then to eight figures and beyond. What is it that you did? And do you remember uh, a particular strategy or a particular hire or something when you were first starting out that allowed you to scale? So what a great question, right? So what we didn't cover was that I went broke first, right? So I built the company and then I made a couple of decisions that, cost me everything. I mean, and it's, it's, a, it's a long, painful story. But I mean, to the point where I was making a quarter million dollars a month net income to losing a quarter mil, lost everything except for, thank God, family and house and car. 
try to I, get I, gone. I, dude, know? I can't let you just gloss over that though. What the heck did you do? <laughs> I mean, like seriously, were you, did you did you start? Uh, I mean, did you get into crack? I mean, like seriously, what happens? I mean, you're a super smart dude. You're sharp. I get it. So it's oh, like dude, you know what's funny. So so my number one sales guy was a crack addict. Oh, there we go. Like yeah, but I mean, like 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 honestly, <laughs> he hire. was he was right. <laughs> yeah, he was clean and sober. And then when he started making a lot of money, he went back to crack. And then. I sent him to rehab. He got clean and sober. Came back, made him money, retired. He's a multimillionaire now. So the so the answer is, and I say I bring that up because I would have you know when I was on top of it, right? And and, and I mean like I was riding the wave of success. My wife would have these fifteen thousand dollar parties in California. We'd have all the celebrity friends that we had come over because our kids went to the same school, you know. And then when we went broke, nobody showed up, right? Mm-hmm. And that was really painful. It took me a couple of years to get over that one. I sucked my thumb. And I went back and asked myself, what on God's earth happened? Yeah. Like, right? Like, like, how did I go from hero to zero overnight? Because it was overnight. Yeah. And look, let's be honest here. I mean, there, there's two ways to go here. I mean, if you if you save a penny, then you're still making a penny, right? So, I mean, we could go right. in the direction <clears throat> of all the things that you did right to build your business, but we can also learn from the things that you did wrong that have you know, that that re, that ended up, you know, with with lots and lots and lots of zeros here. Uh, you know, falling out of the account and eventually getting into into the red. So we can learn from that as well. So yeah, let, let's talk about that. Yeah, I was, I was, I mean, I went from black to red quick, like quick. Yeah. And so, so here's what happened, right? So I, I went back and I thought, I remember before I had crashed the first time, the only time, thank God, I was sitting, I had just bought a brand new customized racing Mercedes. I'm at the gas station and I'm thinking like, I'm the bomb. And I look over, at the corner and there's a lady who got in her mid mid fifties and I'm in my early thirties at the time, mid fifties. And I thought, why me? Like, how come I'm a multimillionaire success story, you know, yada, yada. And why is she um, sitting at a bus stop? Like, like how did that happen? Right. Is it, is it destiny? Is it God? Is it luck? Is it who knows? I forgot about that moment. Shortly thereafter, a few years later, I go get in trouble and now I'm at home, right. Racking my brain going, what on earth happened? So what I did is I, I, after I had a pity party for a couple of years, I went back and thought, what did I do that got me to the success? And what did I do that got me to the failure? I had read all the books, done all the seminars. You know, how did I screw it up? Here's what I realized. You're only one or two moves away, maybe three from greatness or disaster. Not 100, not 50, not not even 10, one or two or three. These are critical strategic moves, and you don't always know which those moves are. I had made a wrong hire, one wrong hire, I had listened to somebody who recommended I hire that individual, and that began the downfall of the organization. So when I started, when we first got to about $12 million a year in sales, I joined an organization, a group called uh, Tech at the time, now called, or uh, it's not YPO, it's Vistage, now called Vistage. Mm-hmm. And everybody, you know, there, there, there's a group of business owners, and they kind of meet and stuff, and yeah. I don't recommend it now. But we had an incredibly high performance group, like super high performance. Everybody in there was amazing. In fact, one of the guys just sold this company for a half a billion dollars, right? So high performers, it was a great group. The chairman was a derelict. And I don't mean that in a derogatory term. I mean that in the definition of derelict. You know, daddy's company, dad sold the game piece of the pie. And I'm supposed to meet with this guy once a week or once a month to do a one-on-one. Like, I don't need this guy. You know, I'm arrogant at the time, yada, yada, yada. He says, you have to hire a VP of sales. I was like, I don't need a VP of sales. My guys are super trained and amazing. He goes, no, you're getting too big. You got to hire a VP of sales. And you got to hire a CFO. I'm like, I don't need a CFO or a VP of sales. My accountant does. I got a great bookkeeper, and I manage my sales guys. 
in retrospect, I hired those people, and those two individuals ruined my company. Hmm. Just killed it, destroyed it. It wasn't the other moving pieces we made. It was those individuals. Well, it was first of all my application. So I realized in, in my lessons, there are four things you cannot delegate in terms of a CEO or entrepreneur. And I see these gals and guys make this mistake all the time. These are the four roles you have. If you want to know what's your job as an entrepreneur or CEO, I'm going to tell it right now based on my experience. One, you're the chief mindset officer. Nobody can control the morale or the mindset belief system of your company but you. You cannot delegate that. Mm -hmm. You're the, the chief strategic officer. You cannot delegate strategy. You can't abdicate it, and you can't neglect it. You're stuck with it. You're the chief team builder. Nobody can build your team but you. I don't care what anybody says. You are the team builder, and you're the chief sales officer. You should be involved in sales because without sales, your organization is non-existent. And I realized that I had made the mistake of abdicating and neglecting those, one of those or four of those areas at some point or another. Mm. Once I got a hold of that, everything began to change for me. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, okay, so let's think about strategy and how to change it. So, you know, it's, I know we're limited in time, but there's more to the story. What I can tell you, though, is that, you know, with this whole, and God love him, Tim Ferriss and, you know, my good friend Richard Koch and all these guys that, you know, set it and forget it and build it to sell it. It's all a crock of baloney. It's not mm -hmm. true at all. Mm -hmm. You, If you're, in my opinion, right, this is, and I'm going to be, and I'm hope I'm, I'm being candid and bold, right? Yeah, so please. if I offend somebody, I'm sorry. Okay. In my opinion, somebody who, who wants to build a company to sell it is not going to do a good job. And they most likely, not won't, but most likely won't achieve their outcome. The, the purpose of building an organization is to grow it. If you grow it, it'll be so attractive at some point, someone will come and knock on your door if it's a good company. Mm -hmm. The whole, you know, um, E-Myth Gerber, who by the way is broke and never had a company in his life, it's all nice and dandy, but it's a, it's a consequence of an effect. It's not the effect itself, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So it, totally get that, man. But you're, again, super sharp. I mean, I totally get that. But I, I, I can't understand how you let everything go to hell in a handbasket there, right? Because at some point you had to say, this CFO is, is out of control. He's not making good decisions. This, this VP of sales is not running my team the right way. After look, were you just completely ignoring the writing on the wall? It, it's, so, it's so funny because I remember driving down the San Mercedes years later to my office. And I was, I thought, you know, I've made it. Like, you know, I, I am the American dream, beautiful wife, great kids, all the, you know, thrills and frills in a company. But where's my ticket to aid parade? Where is my, hey, he did it, right? Like, like, is there all, is this all there is? And that was mm -hmm. the beginning of the downfall. Because what happened, are you kidding, dude? I, when it, we were a quarter million negative every month, I was still avoiding the obvious. I'm like, I was so delusional and so kidding myself. Because at some point, I think I wanted to self-destruct. I think I wanted to blow the whole thing up because mm. I was miserable, mm -hmm. right? I, I was now reaping the rewards rather than growing the organization. Mm -hmm. were, so, were you know, you, that's, that's – go ahead. I was going to say, were you miserable because that you weren't getting the accolades or were you miserable because you weren't, you know, paying more attention to the family? What I missed something in there possibly. Abs absolutely. It, it, all of the above, Right. It, I mean, look, it was, where is my ticker tape rate? Where's my recognition? Where's my accolades? You know, what I didn't know, I was too young at the time. What I didn't know, I, I didn't know was that I didn't need that. Mm -hmm. But as a young entrepreneur, a lot of us who are entrepreneurs, we succeed because we want to give the world the middle finger. 
right? Sure. I'll show you, you know, I'm, I'm not worthless or whatever the case may be. And so out we go. It's a wonderful thing. So long as you have a, a happy self-image. For me, it was, look, man, I just sell toner. There's not much meaning to that, right? It's not like I'm saving the world or curing cancer. It's just toner cartridges. The majority of the employees I had, I didn't really like, truthfully. I mean, you know, they, they were just, you know, they were a pain in my ass. I, I just, I didn't like them, you know? And so here I am, and now I'm in this organization or this company. I thought, gee, if this is all there is, this blows. So I, I began to self-destruct, which is why you can't delegate mindset. And I didn't have a mentor at the time that was alive. He had already passed away. I didn't have somebody to bitch slap me, excuse my language, and say, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I mean, employees leave, and I'm like, I don't, I mean, the, dude, the choices I made when the company started to crash were so dumb. But it, but it was because I was in denial. And I've seen this happen. I'm, look, I'm not the only one, right? No. I've seen this happen a thousand times with guys whom I coached and consulted with and own a piece of the company. Now, of course, you know, we, we nip it in the bud and blah, blah, blah. But so the answer to the question was my mistake was I didn't pay attention to the signals that I knew were there and I ignored them and I hired the wrong people. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting, too, because I mean, my, my wife is uh, half Peruvian. Peruvian, half Polish. She's got that, you know, that 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 Latin kind of fire. I mean, I hear it from you right. too, man. I mean, you're you know, passionate people, right? And so, right. You know, it's interesting because you are obviously a very passionate guy, and, and I mean, that comes across very, very clearly here. And going down the the path of creating a, a commodity oriented business with ink and toner, right? I mean, there's, there's no. Let's be honest, man. There's 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 no real passion. Zero. Right? Like, and it just surprises me that you would choose such a commodity-oriented business being such a passionate guy. Now, and, and again, you can be passionate about anything. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you can find passion in, in ink and toner. But it just it really surprises me that you, of all people, <laughs> I mean, right. you know, I mean, you just hear it, man. You're in, in a commodity-oriented business like this, I just would never connect the two. And I'm curious, you know, what's your take on disconnecting kind of who you are personally from a business opportunity? Because I think some people feel that the two absolutely have to be aligned, but you're living proof that you can be a a very passionate, powerful person and have a business that bores you to tears, so to speak. So, you know, I think that's a big um, disservice that the business community has done to entrepreneurs, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, Live your passion. Follow your passion. If you know, yep. if you love do what, what you, you do, love, the money will follow. Life, yeah, yeah. That, come on. There's a book written by that title, right? I, first of all, most of the guys I know who are multimillionaire run very mundane, boring businesses, right? They're not passionate about the product necessarily, but they're passionate about something else. I'll give an example. So for me, sure, toner. Come on, man. It's just petroleum, plastic, metal, right? Big deal. What I really loved to do was to help individuals within my organization make a lot of money. So my passion was in teaching, you know, I can tell you story after story of guys and gals that were making $1,000 a month as an electrician, boom, within a couple of years, quarter mil. A crack addict, right? Within a couple of years, boom, half a million. You know, a guy pushing carts on a Safeway within a couple of years, boom, a quarter million a year. So the, the passion came in, I can help you guys become incredible salespeople and you can make more money than the doctors and attorneys working for me. That was the passion that drove me. Mm-hmm. The product just happened to be a way we communicated that to the marketplace. You know, I've got three customers, right? My employees, the customers, and anybody who's a board member, which really was just my family because it was we own the company 100%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can you have passion and fail? Absolutely. 
can you have lack of passion to succeed? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the other question is, you know, how do you maintain happiness, right? Because you, you can make a lot of money and be very unhappy. You know, people trade one to the other. I think the, the key component is how do you achieve the income that you want? Why do you want that? What does it represent for you? And then how do you do it with happiness? And I didn't figure that out the first time around. I mean, I was happy at home. Don't get me wrong. I love my kids and wife. But, you know, my vocation after a while became just drudgery. So your, your question was profit or passion. And it, it could be boy, It could be either or. What I've seen is most of the people who have succeeded in any business have a passion for growth and success, not necessarily for the product itself. Yeah. And and just so I'm clear on this, again, you're doing you said you're doing about 25 a year now. Is that uh, about where you're at? Well, if you include all the businesses together, it's probably about double that. We have three businesses, right? We still have the income turner business. We have an Amazon business and we have a coaching consulting business, which happened completely by accident. Mm -hmm. And so what so what is your vision then around? These particular businesses. I mean, you said you don't build a business to to sell it. You don't do it with that in mind, because then you're going to get you know, you kind of get hosed because you're building it for the wrong reason. So, what what is your vision then uh, around these businesses? So, I I love to grow things. Right? That's one thing I realized about myself. You know, I I am somebody who likes to grow things. So, as long as I have an opportunity to grow something, I'll still be in it. The minute I can't grow it anymore, I'll exit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, whether you know and uh, you know, of, of the guys who I consult or coach, whatever you want to call it, they, you know, to ride at different businesses. But the problems are always the same. It's either a mindset problem, a strategy problem, a team building problem, or a sales problem. Mm-hmm. You know, we can get to the weeds, but those are the components. So, you know, I, I have a, a, vi- a formula called vision, values, goals, principles, and price, right? What's your vision? What are your values? What goals do you have? What principles do you want to play? Are you willing to pay that price? And for me, you know, my vision is my kids are about to I have two boys in college. My beautiful daughter is a junior. When she's off to college, my wife and I will, you know, buy a house on the beach and then travel the world and just grow as many businesses as we can and, and help people do it. Because our approach is very different, as you can tell, right? I'm not the typical uh, MBA guy. You know, I'm not an internet marketer, unfortunately, because I think those guys are brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's very different. But we have 100% success rates so far. And the reason is because we hit, we hit so many painful roadblocks in our businesses that we know in advance what they're going to feel, right? The Bible says every dog returns to its vomit. And we see entrepreneurs licking up their vomit day in and day out all the time. They just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Well, the reason why is because they're not working on their mindset. And I know it's an overpopulized term nowadays with the books and everybody talking about it, but it's simple, right? A mindset is just simply, you know, what do you believe to be true about the world and yourself? If you believe you're a piece of garbage, guess what? You'll never do anything to change that. Mm-hmm. If you believe that, you know, you can only succeed by working 50 hours, you know, a day or, or sorry, 20 hours a day that, you know, and, and these things matter, right? Because for us, the formula, people focus on content and process. And if you look at, for example, at if you draw three circles, one on top of the other with a line in between each circles, at the bottom is what everybody wants. And that's results. Whether your business, whether your beautiful wife, it doesn't matter. You want results. What drives results is behavior. And what drives behavior is belief. Now, if you draw two little circles with two lines between the bottom and the middle circle, there's content and process. Content and process, really important. But if you don't have that behavior set in place with those proper beliefs, content and process becomes irrelevant. So what we see is people focus on content and process all the time. 
but yet not change the saga of the business or add a code of conduct or make these behavioral changes, and therefore nothing happens. You know, there was something called PIMS, the Profit Impact Market Strategy uh, Research, which if you guys can look at it, it says that strategy is the single most important thing any business can have. Mm-hmm. But in order for you to have strategy, you got to have the proper belief system. Anyway, you know, without going yeah. too far. So, so my passion, my what I love to do, what I'm actually good at, is getting other people to do a better job. Interesting. All right. So, and I just want to be clear on this. The so the existing businesses right now. Are you reinvesting back into the businesses? Are you able to to pull out of the businesses you have no and you haven't raised any money around any of these? Right. So you've taken in no outside investors. Zero outside investors. I don't believe in. Let me rephrase that. Zero outside investors. I I think a better business model is where your customers fund your growth. So, in Amazon, that's not true. In Amazon, we have to keep inventory which is terrible. I'm trying to find out how we can not do that, but I don't like that piece. Mm-hmm. But in the other business, you collect the cash before you pay the suppliers. And as long as you have margin, man, that's a great business to be in. Mm-hmm. So we pull, you know, do we pull money out? Of course. You know, do we reinvest only to the only to the capacity that we get an ROI? So if our ROI is 100% every month, right? We turn a dollar to get back $2 as an example. But if I add more money to that business and the ROI decreases to 70%, somewhere argue, well, you're still making more money. And some argue, but your ROI is now lower. So there's a there's a balance between okay, how much do you pull out? Plus there's also taxes and all these other components. Of, but so the answer is we have no debt anywhere, and uh, we have no investors anywhere. Mm-hmm. And are you able to share generally what you were able to net for for you and uh, and, and the Mrs. Personally amongst these uh, various businesses? I'd rather not because I don't like to boast. Yeah. Um, but but it's you know and it's safe we're to good. say we're over seven figures a year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, why else be in business, right? I mean, that's uh, that, of course, is the the goal of every business. Is another otherwise why start it? So let let me just see if I can get to uh, a point of clarification here because I, I think you started going down this path, and I just want to make sure that you were able to fully address this because you lived, you learned from the first iteration, uh, and now are applying it to the the second iteration. So what what are some of the key things? then that you are absolutely positively doing differently in this second iteration? Uh, anything outside of the, the core four uh, that you mentioned before? You mean tactically? Tactically, strategically, from a, from a revenue perspective, from a, from sure. a, from a personnel perspective. Uh, I never go to the office. You don't go. So you, is there a physical office? Yes, we have two. So I never go to the office ever. I haven't been there in over two years. The um, that's one thing. The other thing is I don't have any contact usually with the people who don't report directly to me. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. We have changed who we go after in terms of a market. Right, we only pick certain clientele. In fact, we're doing a complete clean of our database right now um, to find out you know who our client really is because you know we can only serve so many people mm-hmm. and do it the right way. You know, Bain Consulting had a model where you know versus Boston Consulting Group, Bain Boston Consulting Group was project-based. Bain was based on relationships with the CEO. So it was less clients, deeper relationships, bigger paydays. So we've changed our niche so that we can leverage, you know, less input with more do- to get more dollars. We've also branched out, right, going to Amazon, things of the nature. And then the consulting stuff is really interesting and exciting because, you know, that is where you can see these variety of other businesses, how they operate. You know, the, the, we, we have a running joke, right, that when somebody says, you don't understand, 
and my business is different, you can just put a tombstone on there. They're over. It's done. Mm-hmm. Like they have just killed their business. Mm-hmm. Because yes, I do understand. And all businesses are identically the same. All the problems are the same. And the majority of the problems come with hair on top. So let me just, and I want to, because this seems contradictory to what you said earlier, and I'm trying to get my arms around this. How are you able then to build the team and, and build rapport with with your people who are, uh, I mean, putting serious bread on the table for you every single month, month in and month out? How are you able to do that if you haven't been in the office for, for two years? What a great question. So how did I build my business the first time? On the phone. Mm-hmm. So why would I have to meet with all my staff or employees person to person when I could just call them on the phone? So do you do, I mean, do you do like an annual retreat? I mean, do they get any FaceTime with you at all at any point during the year? They can. So the answer is they can, well, it depends on who it is, right? Depends whether they, they report directly to me or not. They can come see me anytime. And if they want to see me face to face, no problem. So like sometimes they come to my house, they say, hello, you know, high five, whatever the case may be. But me at the office, nope. Me one-on-ones, nope. Me doing meetings, nope. Would I do a training? Maybe. Why? Because I realized I was a bottleneck getting in the way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have your direct report and you build a team right, you have to get out of there to do the job right. If you have to get in the way, you have the wrong hire. People hire, in my experience, people hire wrong all the time. In fact, I had a discussion this morning with somebody, and I didn't say anything to them because they're a friend, not a client, but people hire to either avoid doing work fill in a gap they think needs to be filled or we have extra work. That is, you should never, ever, ever hire anybody unless you can satisfy one rule. And that is, will they help me achieve my strategy? And are they the person who can help me best achieve the strategy? Which presupposes you have to have, you have, to have a strategy in place. Right. If they will not help you achieve the strategy, why on God's earth would you hire them? Mm-hmm. You're just going to waste money and create problems. If they will help you achieve the strategy, then guess what? They're not going to need much uh, managing. Right, because if you've done it right, you'll hire the right individual. Now, of course, there are key metrics in place, and you know there are things that we do to make sure that everybody's on target. Obviously, but you know when I hired the first two people, the CFO and the VP of Sales, I hired them because someone told me I needed that position. I didn't need that position, guys. I, I was just fine doing it the way I was doing. In fact, we would have probably gone four times the size. They focaccia'd it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were the most incompetent. But I, I was too young, too dumb to know it. I didn't know you hire for strategy. I thought you just hire because, you know, if you, you grow, you hire. So if you've got the right individuals. Now, look, you know, are these people geniuses? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Do they need hand-holding? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. But if I go in and I do it for them, I am telling them you're, you're incapable of doing it yourself. If I coach and mentor them and they don't do it, we just get somebody else. If I coach and mentor them and they do it, they've now gotten the learning which keeps retention high, keeps them enthusiastic, and you get somebody who's better. Remember, what I love to do is make people better. Mm-hmm. So why would I make them worse by swooping in? Now, I'm not suggesting somebody starting out do this. I'm not suggesting you know, that this is the way everybody should run their business. I am suggesting that you think about the team the right way and you know, can they fit the strategy. Everybody hires for the wrong reasons. This I did, and it cost me my first fortune. Mm-hmm. And so in, in the simplest terms possible, how, how would you define then your strategy for each of the three businesses? So every strategy has a different, might have, every company has different silos. 
So, for example, you know, with the ink and toner, if we go to government agencies, local county agencies, that's one strategy. That if we go to manufacturing, right? So within those silos, you have different strategies. And you know, in the in the consulting business, of course, each one has a strategy. And the Amazon, it depends on the SKU. So you can have an overall arching strategy, but really, it's based on silos. You know, what what niche are you serving? Who's the enemy? What's the terrain look like, and how do you win? And you ask those questions over and over again. And a lot of times, by the way, you know, it, the terrain changes, so your tactics change. But not having a strategy will kill you, in my mm-hmm. opinion. It did me. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so, you know, I, I just want to make sure uh, that as we as we look to kind of wrap up here and uh, and give folks an opportunity to learn more about. What you're doing, because you've got a few different businesses that, uh, you know, as you said, you got a coaching business and so on, and uh, you got the Ink and Tony, you got the Amazon business. So uh, yes. I know you got your hands in, in a lot of pots there, but uh, as we're looking here then to, to wrap up, one, one of the things that I, I think a lot of folks struggle with is they have a hard enough time building one business, let alone building multiple businesses. What, what are some of your thoughts around? And, and can you put some parameters around like what we're talking about in terms of revenue around the the other two businesses because we didn't we didn't quite did dive into those so much so I just want to understand I mean we're just talking a little bit here or a lot and then how yeah. do you and then how do you how do you do that? So so Amazon's a couple of million a year, which really is not much. And on the consulting, they pay me ten thousand a month um, plus a percentage of the of the overrides. So you're looking at about a couple hundred thousand a month in revenue, mm-hmm. but most of that is profit. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. that goes to EBITDA. So, because you know, there's really not much expenses. So, the, the, so here's a great, here's a wonderful question you asked. Right, is can you have what, what I call MSIs, multiple sources of income, or can you only have one one company only? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. You can either only have one or have fifty if you want. But there has to be a bridge between what you're doing and all the organization. So, I love to build people. You know, I, I suck at almost everything except building people. Right. Then I would say building high performance, because if you give me a dunce, there ain't nothing I can do with that person. Right. (laughs) I just I can't help you. Mm -hmm. You give me a high performer, man, we will rock it. So it doesn't matter if I have 50 businesses or one business. It only matters is am I building people the right way? So if I build a guy to run the Amazon business, you know, if I build the you know, the the clients on the consulting business, if I build my team on on the ink and toner business, as long as I'm doing that and I'm working on that, I can handle as many businesses as you throw my way. If I can't, then I can't handle more than you know however many people I can handle, which is usually about twelve um, direct heavy reports, right? Mm-hmm. Usually about twelve. Mm-hmm. So you know it, it it depends. I've got clients that have multiple sources of income and they do great. I've got clients that have one business and they, they can barely keep up. I think the parameter is depending upon you know how much you can handle on your plate. You know I'm I'm a big fan of, of Richard Koch, although I think everybody misunderstands him and everybody gets in trouble. I know there's a net marketer out there whose name I won't mention, who was a big fan of Richard Koch, who almost went broke because he just he didn't get what the 80-20 really was about. The 80-20 isn't about eliminating things in your life. It's, it, it's not at all about that. People think, oh, you know, I, I'm just going to work two hours a day. That is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. I do not suggest it. The 80-20 is about continually finding what are those few things that if you press that button, you get the biggest return on your investment. You should work like a machine as much as you want every day looking for those few things to make the biggest impact. If you get that, then the 80-20 makes sense. And then, of course, you know the, the other component of it is is that it, as you grow these businesses, these multiple sources of income, you have to ask yourself the question: you know, Am I having fun? And if you're not having fun, then you know what? There's not much you can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Richie, any uh, any final questions here from Marx as we uh, start to wrap up? No, oh, I was just going to ask, um, how much do you think, I guess there is one, how much do you think that chip early on when you got fired and you were making ten, that you were making more than double what everyone else is making and you got fired, how much do you think that played into it and how much do you think that played into choosing that business because you already knew how to do it? What a great question. So back to the original thought about, about handling stuff. I'm also a big GTD guy. You know, David Allen, good friend, amazing guy. So I can probably handle more than most because I cheat with GTD. And so I, I highly recommend that if anybody hasn't read the book, read it. Um, if you've read it, read it again and do it 100%. You know, just become a lifelong student because it has it has saved me more than I can count. I mean, we took a 60-day vacation this summer, half, you know, 30 days in Europe and then 30 days in the U.S. And, you know, and I didn't have a care in the world, man. It was, it was incredible. Not that things weren't going on, it just... You know, got out of my head. So, you know, I about the chip issue. When I, I I'm unemployable, <clears throat> you know, and, and my my old boss said that to me. I am unemployable. So it was only a matter of time that I was going to get fired or I was going to quit. Now <clears throat> he fired me, which you know was one of the best things he ever did for me. And I was going to quit eventually at some point or another. But I probably would not have ended up into the ink and toner business. I think I would have ended in a different kind of business. Um, but you know, it, it, it's, I think everybody who has a chip on their shoulder should consider th- themselves lucky so long as, so long as they recognize it and don't become an asshole with it. Cause I was an asshole with it at some point. Right. And that, that cost me dearly. Mm-hmm. So the chip in the shoulder is a wonderful thing to say, I'll show you, but don't hate the, the, the person, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big martial artist, right? I've been doing martial arts, you know, JKD and Jiu-Jitsu and stuff and kickboxing most of my life. Not so much now because, you know, at 48, the punches hurt a little more. <laughs> but, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, but but in the martial arts, it's interesting because we find truth in combat, much like in business. You don't know what really works until you get out in the marketplace and you try it. So when you're sparring somebody, right, whether he says he's better or not, you know, we'll know this Saturday whether Khabib is better than McGregor or McGregor better than Khabib. When they fight, there's truth that, that shows up, right? So for me, it was like, I had this chip on my shoulder and I want to beat the other person, but I'd want to hug him at the end. Cause even if, you know, when I first started in, in, uh, in this business, there was a guy who's, I won't mention his name, but him and I were selling together. And he's, you know, he beat me the first year. He was rookie of the year. I was not rookie of the year. And he beat me and everybody would go home at two o'clock and him and I would be on the phones dialing at four o'clock, five o'clock. And we hated each other, hated each other. Right. He stood for something I did not stand for at all. Right. And one day, nobody's in the office but us. And he gets up and he comes over and he sits next to my desk. And we start talking like two gladiators, right? Opposing, you know, in the battlefield and opposing teams, opposing uh, countries, just having a chat. And the level of respect, the level of love that existed, not because we liked each other personally, but because we but we understood what each one was going through in the battle every day was like unlike anything else I'd ever had with anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then the next day we went back to beating each other, competing each other. So if you've got a chip on your shoulder, good for you. But realize that it should be about you competing with somebody else to make both of you better. Don't tear the other person down or don't beat the other business down. If I get an improvement and somebody copies me, great. You have now added more value to the marketplace, but I'm going to do one better than you anyway. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense, man. All right, look, I know you got, uh, well, actually, no, you got nothing but time. Now you have an abundance of time. So we're all uh, GTD right. in the house, man. We're all good around that. But 
Look, I want to I want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to uh, send people towards uh, where, wherever it is that you actually want. Because I know you got a few different things going on. So where's the best place for folks to get more information uh, about you? And then uh, maybe a 30 second wrap up uh, final thoughts. Sure. So they can email me directly at M-A-R-X-A-R at M-E dot com. Marks A-R at M-E dot com. I don't have a website, you know, we don't, at least not yet anyway for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Most people won't email me. They'll be shy. But if you email me, I'll respond. I'll answer your question. If I can help you, great. If not, I'll point you in the right direction. Whatever I can do to make somebody's life better, I'm all in. Yeah, appreciate that. And, uh, and any final thoughts here in the last uh, 30 seconds or so before we wrap? I, I know it's hard to encapsulate businesses in less than an hour, right? There's just so much stuff to cover. It's such a dynamic um you know, feel that's so interesting and so fun. But anybody who listens to your podcast is going to get the greatest education because a little bit here, a little bit there will formulate your beliefs, I believe. And you never know where that one idea is going to show up that's going to change your trajectory of your life and or your business. So what an amazing thing you guys are doing with this podcast. Yeah, man. Well, appreciate the compliment on that. And uh, and we will certainly let you uh, let you know when – when, when we need to pick your brain, because Lord knows there's so much more we could learn from you. So maybe we'll uh, figure out how to, how to how to all get in a room together. Maybe we'll do another. Maybe we'll do a Beyond Eight conference, and uh, and we'll get folks like Marks there to to share their wisdom live with folks as well. Well, maybe we'll kick that around. All right, but let, for now we'll let you go. Marks Acosta Rubio, thank you so much for joining us here on Beyond Eight Figures. We'll talk to you really really soon, my friend. So thank you. All righty. Wow. So Richie. Um, where, where, where to even begin? But man, I tell you, you know, there, there is something, one of the, I will say this, that one of the things that I'm super clear on at this stage of my career uh, is that people buy energy and clarity sells. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily need both. You could be really good on one end and not so good on the other and vice versa, or you can really be great on both. Uh, this guy certainly is great on, on on the energy side. Wait, you're jumping out of your chair already. Yes, please. Well, just a big takeaway. Yes. Look at your client. Understand their world. Find out how to make them a hero in their world mm-hmm. and serve that is something that really struck me from his. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm glad you, you brought that back up. So, again, here, folks, we really do appreciate you guys tuning in to Beyond 8 Figures for those who have rated and reviewed and subscribed to the show. Thank you for that. If you haven't yet done so, we'd love for you to do so. For Mary Goulet, who'll be back next week, and Richie Ote and White Wade and Kelly Holden down at headquarters, I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you next time here on Beyond 8 Figures. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Beyond 8 Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at beyond8figures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.